0: betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc
1: spend my dollar it's not about what you want it's about what you're willing to do to get it Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a Celebrate edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. After Alabama defeated Georgia Saturday in Atlanta. After the trophy ceremony. After all the confetti. The work was done. No 24-hour rule. The mission was achieved. No good job, but the goal was accomplished. No need to fret over variables outside the team's control. Alabama stamped complete with rousing clarity their 2023 season. From loss to a rainy day in Tampa, through a revenge, revenge tour, an improbable trip to Atlanta, there was nothing left to do and only one thing to say. Celebrate. Today we focus on the team and the game. We'll talk selection and bowls and playoffs. We'll do that another time, but today this performance and this accomplishment is center stage. Alabama went into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with great confidence and a tremendous challenge was ahead of them. We all know the outcome, but don't let this moment pass. The resilience, confidence, effort, dedication, improvement, every bit of persistence over months was required. Getting to do battle with Georgia was the reward for slavishly doing battle with themselves. This is a team we can all be proud of. Roll Tide. All right, let's take it to the field. And speaking of the field, Alabama played incredible. On paper, the Tide wasn't all that spectacular. Credit the opponent for that. But Alabama rose up at all of the right times. Alabama only had three of 13 third down conversions, but two of two on critical fourth downs. Alabama only had 306 total yards, but had three timely touchdown drives. One 92 yards, a 69-yarder, and a 75-yarder. One to take the lead, one to extend the lead, and one to preserve the lead. Timely play. Alabama yielded a significant putt return, but Alabama also seized a turnover. Alabama on the day was outgained, but as a team played clean with only three penalties and was incredibly focused where they edged time of possession and they overcame injuries down the stretch. Milroe himself was true to form, or true to that form. Milroe was... Thirteen of twenty-three, a fifty percent uh, passing day. He had 192 yards, two touchdowns. So many clutch throws. He had a long of only 28. This is a quarterback early in the season whose apparently his apparent only asset early in the season was just chuck it down the field. And his long Saturday against Georgia, a name brand opponent, number one team, undefeated for 29, you know, straight ball games. His longest pass was only 28 yards. Milroe hit eight receivers. Uh, he hit the trifecta again. He had a wide receiver, a tight end, and a running back. And the, and, uh, the two touchdowns, uh, receiver and uh, running back, hit those. Uh, Milrow also had 14 carries uh, for 29 yards. And in a strange sort of twist of football math fate, his long was 30, although he netted only 29. Of course, they factor in the, the sacks in that and Milrow the long was on the Alabama's last possession of the game when they were driving to ice the game. So his biggest run, his best run, his big biggest sort of moment carrying the ball was at a critical time where Alabama was uh, working to run out the clock. There's no doubt that Milrow was worthy of the game's MVP, even though it wasn't his best performance. And I'll say, I think, the fact that Alabama under Milrow could go into the the Dome playing Georgia and walk out with a win with Milrow not playing his best game is itself a signal to how well Milrow has progressed. We've all seen the star quarterbacks that put up the blazing numbers and lead their team to victory. But we hear this so much about in, in the NFL, and we see it in college sometimes as well, is what do you do when you don't have your fastball? Uh, it's a baseball analogy used against football that I'm extrapolating to Milrow, but how does a pitcher perform when they don't have their best stuff? When their fastball's not on, uh, maybe their curve's not, uh, they're not breaking. Can that pitcher, is there enough moxie, enough wile, enough guile in that in that pitcher to still have a good outing, to still have a good day? Quarterbacks are the same way. When you're not perfectly on, can you still have a good day? Can you still lead your team to victory? That is the sign of a good quarterback, not always a stuffed stat sheet. And Milrow delivered on that too. He's been filling the stat sheet all season long. And in the day when he was unable to fill the stat sheet, although it wasn't a terrible day, it just wasn't up to a standard he's been set, he didn't tank the team. The team didn't tank as a result of that. The team played well. The team played championship caliber ball and beat the vaunted uh, Bulldogs. That, in a strange sort of twist of fate, twist of fate, almost does the sort of the complete circle, the complete evolution progression of Milrow. Look, I'm not going to say he's arrived, even though it sounds like that's what I'm saying. He still has a lot of work and development to do, but. What an interesting sort of plateau or milestone that he's reached. This team that could have been a four or five loss squad in that rainy day in Tampa is a one-loss SEC champ going to the playoffs and a quarterback who, again, I raised my hand, didn't think would be the starter, maybe not even the, the backup given the style of play that the team wanted to espouse, that Saban wanted to espouse. Milro has achieved uh so much this season and and again uh, a performance that we should all be pleased with and uh and I say proud of as well and uh, so really pleased with Milrow's performance on the day and I just like sort of the microcosm that this game sort of represents that Alabama was able to win Milrow was able to lead the team to victory even though it was not on paper his best performance uh so I think that's a uh, I'm running that point into a ground, but I think uh, I think that's an interesting uh, uh, accomplishment. And I like the juxtaposition there. Our running backs, I thought, were sound. Uh, Jason McClellan was out, and so Roydell and Jam uh, carried the load. Roydell had 16 carries, uh, 64 yards, a touchdown, and a long at 12. Uh, he had one reception for nine yards. Uh, Jamirian, or Jam, had nine carries, 23 yards, no no touchdowns carrying. His long was only eight, but he had one reception for 28 yards uh, for a touchdown. And that 28-yarder uh, was Melrose's uh, longest pass on the day. So it was a real will route uh, to Jermarion. I thought both uh, Roydale and Jamarian ran hard and physical. Uh, they didn't have long runs, but they kept the chains moving, and they continued to sort of press georgia with a very very physical style of play uh, it was much needed by this alabama team the wide receivers there were really two uh, there was a collection of receivers that caught passes we talked about uh, that under Milroe isaiah bond clearly stood out uh, amongst the crowd he had five receptions for 79 yards uh, he had a long of 22. on the last uh, on Alabama's last touchdown drive which was a critical drive to continue the game forward Isaiah Bonds had most of his three most of I think he had three catches uh, 58 yards on uh, of of his five and 79 so Isaiah Bond uh, again similar to the Auburn game uh, played well all day but played that little extra when Alabama needed it most uh, Isaiah Bonds the second half of the season has really emerged as a playmaker for Alabama. Uh, Jermaine Burton had two catches for 28. He did have a touchdown, uh, a beautiful touchdown where he sort of seemed to grab the ball uh, against his helmet, and uh, at least from my uh, seat in the stands. And uh, his long was 58 or was 15 rather. And so Jermaine certainly had a big day for Alabama as well. The offensive line was solid, uh, especially considering the opponent. They really had to, uh, the offensive line uh, really had to ri- uh, raise their level of play, and I thought they performed well on Saturday. Uh, J.C. Latham did have a uh, uh, legal receiver downfield penalty, which is always – we haven't had many of those this season, uh, and it's been several weeks since we've had one. Uh, I believe it was Dalcourt, uh last time. And that's always something that you run the risk of when you have a, a, a mobile quarterback – a quarterback that's subject to run. And so J.C. went down, sort of clear space, expecting the quarterback to run, and uh, Milrow threw the ball, and so he was flagged with a penalty. It's hard to get on to J.C. too much about that, uh, especially when it's outside of the design of the play. Within the design of the play, you know, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, you know where they're going with the ball. You know the play call. Uh, You shouldn't be running down like that. But you get to, you know, one thousand seven, one thousand eight, one thousand nine, and the and the play still hasn't unfolded. And you know the quarterback is is prone to run, and maybe you catch it out of the side of your eye. Uh, the fact that you're downfield, it's hard to. That's just a, it's, it's a that is a victim of circumstance rather than uh, a misperformance by Latham. Uh, I do want to call out Seth, and uh, Seth had probably as many bad snaps or low snaps, snaps down by the ankles, sort of below the knee. Uh, he had probably as many of those as he has had in several weeks. I might even go back to the Texas game. Milrow fielded them all cleanly. There was nothing that went over his head or was a big loss like in the Auburn game, and we've had that happen a couple of three times this season. But it was a lot of just lower, uh, like he's trying to get out too quick and not getting the ball, uh, sort of not completing his follow-through. And it's interesting that 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 the that that may be Texas and uh, Georgia where we had – where Seth had the, his worst performances uh, in in those regard, and I wonder if that's a function of the the caliber and quality and the size of the offensive or the defensive line that he's going against. So that's an interesting sort of uh, thought thought process there. Uh, next opponent being Michigan, he may that may f- sort of fall in that category as well, and so I think that's Seth, uh, something that Seth. Uh, you know, get a snap omatic or something that he needs to spend time with uh, over the next uh, the next several weeks. But I think there's an opportunity that for uh, Seth to continue to improve there. Uh, I just wonder if there's not a parallel based on who the opponent is. All right, let's talk mini ball, uh, mini game ball on the offense. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of characters that that we could choose from, and uh, I'm gonna go a little bit sort of off the radar. Uh, or at least it feels that way. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, Tyler Booker and Jaden Roberts. I'm giving many game balls to the Alabama uh, interior linemen. I thought they played very very well on the day, and I've probably given Jaden a shout out a couple of times. I mean he is the third team right guard, uh, and so it's hard not to want to give him a shout out. But uh, Tyler Booker and Jaden Roberts maybe the best guard combo in the conference. I want to go to I want to be a little careful before I say the country, but I think they would be in the running for it. Uh, Those guys are just monsters and uh, certainly performing well for the Tide this season. Look forward to having them back through the postseason and into future seasons as well. Let's call it what it is. The Alabama defense was the hero of the day on Saturday. Alabama held held Georgia scoreless for five consecutive possessions after Georgia uh, scored a touchdown on their first possession. And Alabama defense held Georgia. uh, There was a field goal in there. So Alabama held Georgia eight possessions between touchdowns and so uh, their first possession was a touchdown in their 10th possession and so there were eight possessions sort of sandwiched in that middle uh, where georgia was not able to score uh, a touchdown and across those eight possessions they managed only a field goal that is the defense rising up it looked early like ooh, this could get ugly fast this could get late early Uh, with georgia marching down uh, a lot of misdirection, uh, looked really good on their opening drive, and Alabama just said nope, and uh, there was a, a personnel adjustment, not a personnel adjustment, but an alignment uh, adjustment uh, made by the defense, and uh, it really, really allowed the Alabama defense to, to rise to the occasion, uh, and it stymied Georgia for much of the day. Late in the game, the Alabama offense got rolling uh, a, little bit, a little bit more, as did Georgia, and uh, there, were some, there were more scores late, but it was enough. Alabama having held Georgia out of the end zone for most of the day uh, was enough to allow uh, the score differential. The Alabama uh, defense only allowed 4 of 12 on third down conversions, held Georgia to 78 yards rushing. Uh, that may be their season low. Uh, if that's not, their average 2.5 uh, yards per carry uh, I would assume has to be a low on the season for Georgia. Brock and McConkey were eight for uh, eight catches or combined eight catches for 91 yards, zero touchdowns. Uh, you could reason that that eight uh, you know for a buck 10 and a touchdown uh, might be each of their their stat lines and their combined stat line was 8 for 91 zero touchdowns uh, so that is uh, that's uh, phenomenal. Uh, Georgia fans may make the argument that well, they were both hurt, and while true, uh, neither were injured to the extreme of a I don't know uh, John Mechie or uh, Jameson or even a Harrison uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So injured wide receivers seems to, seems to play a role in these games uh, with Georgia. And I guess for, I'll say, for Alabama, certainly, and for uh, greater college football, uh, we're glad to see the shoe on the other foot in that regard on this game, though they did perform and they did put up numbers, uh, crediting certainly the Alabama defense here. Uh, Alabama did force a fumble, uh, which followed a suspect call by the officials, uh, stopped the clock when it looked like Melrose down, but he got up and, and continued to run. And upon replay, uh, he had been drugged down on top of the defender and then rolled off the other side of the defender. He was never down. Uh, there was another. N- there was never uh, a knee or an elbow or a forearm or a butt cheek. Uh, there was nothing that could have been classified as Milrow being down. And so that was a that was a miss by the official. And so fortunately, when Alabama. Punted the ball. Uh, a couple of plays subsequent to that, there was a fumble, and uh, Trez Marshall was able to pick that up. I like what I, I love what Trez, uh, Trez said. He said I want, I wanted to pick it up and run it in and score, but that that was a and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, he said, but that was a a city fumble, not a country fumble. And he was talking about the traffic and all of the people around, and so it was like a city. Environment because there was so much traffic and people around that I'm just going to fall on it. Whereas a country fumble, there would be no one around and he'd have plenty of time to sort of slow down and pick it up and run. So I thought uh, I love that characterization. I've never heard that before and uh, I'll see uh, that, that, that maybe one that uh, we look at adopting. Uh, I, I like sort of the characterization there and what that uh, represents. Let's talk about some of the individual players, like we do, and it's some of the same names, you know. And of course, it's going to be. But Terry and Arnold was in on six tackles, he had one pass deflection, and he was chatty. Boy, we see it sometimes on the TV where he's chatting up the defender, but in the stadium at the game, watching him, and they would show him on the on the on the big screen sometimes. He was always talking to the receiver. I don't know if they were making dinner plans after the game or what, uh, exchanging Christmas lists, but they were always. Terrian Arnold was always talking with his uh, his receiver. And he's talked about that's that's part of his game. Uh, we don't often see that on just the telecast. And probably in this game, there wasn't a lot of that visible on the telecast. But just watching it live uh, and keeping an eye on Terrian, definitely a lot of chatter there that was fun fun to see. Uh, Malachi Moore was in on five tackles. and In fact, all of his tackles were solos. Uh, Trez, Trez Marshall was in on five tackles. And he also had the force fumble we've talked about. When you look down the, the stat sheet, there's a lot of players that have four, five, sort of six tackles. That means there was a lot of people contributing. There wasn't just one person sort of racking up all the tackles. It was everyone rising to the occasion. We don't often see that, uh, but against uh, Georgia Saturday, we certainly did. Uh, Dallas Turner and Justin O'Boyby each had a sack and Trey Amos what can you say about trey amos and if you didn't know that mckinstry went out you wouldn't have known that mckinstry went out trey amos stepped in uh Kool-Aid mckinstry went out got popped in the head uh so we went out under the uh concussion protocol uh, We we continue to watch him on the on the sidelines or watch for him on the sidelines he went you know immediately into the tunnel uh or into the the tent and then there was a later time we saw him on the sidelines and he was in street clothes so any sort of question hey what what is the injury is he coming back he was certainly not coming back the fact that he was walking on the sidelines that he walked off the fields uh, were all good signs in the moment we didn't know what was happening Uh, and then when it was reported that hey it was a concussion he's under the protocol he's not going to go back in uh, then we knew, you know, Trey Amos is, is going to have to play a more sustained role. We also know Kool-Aid's going to come back, and he's going to be able to uh, be back for that. So that's certainly good. But let's pause. Trey Amos played phenomenally. He was targeted immediately. Uh, I sort of kept track, and there were there were three, maybe four instances where Trey, Mo, Trey Amos was specifically targeted on plays by the Georgia Bulldogs. One being the very first play that he was in the game. So the Georgia saw McKinstry go out. They immediately, and there's a there's a couple of moments there where he's slowly going off the field. And the Georgia coaches were absolutely talking up. What can we dial up? What can we dial up to that side? Let's attack the new guy. He's been sitting cold on the bench. Uh, let's attack the new guy and Amos. Uh, definitely stepped up. He had two pass deflections. There was a possession where Georgia was desperately trying to score a touchdown, and they sent Brock at him, and uh, Amos was able to knock that ball down. So that was another uh, of the pass deflections as well. And so Georgia, everything that they had, they were throwing at him, and Amos rose to the occasion. We've talked about individual improvement, individual players making improvement over over the course of the season. And Trey Amos is an example of that. Against Texas, when Alabama, and we talked about this in, in the podcast, Alabama was rotating. When we went to dime, we moved Terry over and bring Amos in. And so there's sort of a, uh, a movement amongst players. And Texas went after Amos and other teams went after Amos and had success. And as he has continued to uh, progress, maybe second, the last sort of third of the season we've talked about, he's participating sort of in the no-fly zone uh, in the secondary. And Saturday, specifically with Georgia, their quarterback, who did have a good day, and some of their feature receivers, uh, they, they specifically targeted Amos, and he had a tremendous day. Uh, Amos is the, the transfer from Louisiana, and so it's a big step up to, uh, up to the SEC and certainly Alabama, and playing at this level, SEC championship level. And he uh, is also one of the players with Jalen Key that came in after A-Day, so didn't even have the benefit of A-Day. So it has been on-the-job learning uh, for these two players, and uh, Trey Amos has certainly stepped up. Uh, He did not participate in senior day, so there's some speculation that he'll be back uh, next season. Uh, I have him penciled in, and I've probably commented this before. I have him penciled in as one of the starters, at uh, corner position next year, and uh, I originally uh, was forecasting it would be Tariq and Trey at those corner spots, and Tariq may have played himself into an early round NFL selection, so Tariq may go ahead and go on. But it's good to see uh, Trey perform so well in a in a situation of need for the team, and then certainly for uh, future implications for the tide as well. Mini game ball. I wanted to give Trey Amos the mini game ball, and I thought, no, I'm gonna just gonna, I'm just gonna gush on Trey Amos just for a moment because he played so well and played such a sort of lost to history performance, uh, but was just absolutely outstanding. I wanted to spend the mini game ball talking about the defensive front, uh, primarily sort of the front eight, or uh, you know, in a goal line situation. Uh, the defensive front had what I would call a mini-goal line stand. Uh, Georgia scored the touchdown. But the defensive front forced Georgia to, burn, to run five plays and burn 46 seconds when Georgia was trying to go fast. They, uh, late in the game, uh, uh, Georgia got the ball back with three, four minutes left and it's all about running the clock running the clock running the clock and and if in you know if they'll take a 3 minute drive for a touchdown we'll, we'll sort of concede that rather it be a field goal we had, but we had points to give we just needed to burn clock and, and in that situation we would trade points for clock uh, Georgia had a couple of big plays and so they drove they drove down to the 5 and in what looked like uh, I think they drove down to the six, and they had a five-yard run, and then it looked like, uh, you know, that was almost in, but it wasn't in. So they are just going to punch it in. And the Alabama defense rose up and forced Georgia to make, a, you know, one, two, three attempts uh, to get into the end zone there, which burned off critical seconds. Georgia's like, I'm trying to go fast. I'm trying to go fast. I know I'm going to score because we're just right here at the goal line. We're just going to bludgeon it in. But we need it now. We need it now. We not it not in three plays from now. We need it right now because we need those. We need those seconds on the clock. They eventually did score. They did something of an onside kick. Alabama recovered, but there was enough time left, and, and there could have been nearly a fully a full minute additional, where Georgia's defense now had to prevent Alabama from converting first downs and Alabama was able to to move the chains and and run the clock. But that 30 to 45 seconds I think is critical, whereas if Alabama had not been able to run out the clock, uh, it potentially would have had to turn the ball over to George again so mini game ball again sort of lost in history that gets compressed and 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 sort of lost to the mindset but that defensive front those three to five plays depending upon you know which ones you count uh, from the six it was five plays 46 seconds uh, burned off the clock again when George is just trying to score the ball fast everyone kind of knows they're gonna score but let's 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 make it take a minute or almost a minute. Uh, because we need that time off the clock. Alabama's up by two scores uh, at that point, and again, we'll trade, we'll trade points for for time. Uh, we just our defense allowed us to sort of get a premium uh, on that expense, and so that's uh, that's really what what you're looking for in that situation. So, mini game ball there to uh, the defensive front. All right, let's move on and talk special teams and. Um, Tip of the cap to Will Reichert, Uh, he was 2-for-2 on field goals, had a long of 43, he was 3-of-3 on his PATs, Uh, that's a very sort of standard uh, stat line for Will, and the magic is he's been racking up that stat line for a long time, and as a result, on Saturday, he officially earned the all-time scoring leader, in NCAA football. That is amazing. Uh, that definitely uh, that definitely puts him in position as the number one kicker uh, that Alabama has ever had. And the fact that we've gotten to, as fans, enjoy that over the last couple of years, uh, especially coming out of a time frame where Alabama didn't always have the best kickers. To follow that up with the best kicker ever, the leading the leading scorer in the history of NCAA, it's one of those. Alabama does. It's one of those of course that's going to happen at Alabama with Nick Saban and uh, certainly we're pleased and proud of uh, our our Will Reichert. So good on good on him and certainly the benefit to the team. James Burnup was 5 punts for 233 net yards. He had a 46 point uh, I scratched my number. 46.6 average it looks like. He had 3 inside the 20. He had a long of 56. He had 2 <clears throat> I won't go so far as to say shank, but he did have one that was a 39-yarder. That now that's one of the ones inside the 20, so it's hard to penalize him uh, for the 39-yarder there. Uh, and that resulted uh, a couple of plays later in a fumble. And then he had one for 40 yards. I have to go back and look. Was that inside the 20? Uh, but that resulted in a touchdown uh, by Georgia. So uh, Burnup on the day uh, did a very fine job. Uh, Alabama did have. Ah, this feels good. Alabama did have one kick return for zero yards, and you think, well, that's sort of weird. Why is that a good thing? Uh, on the very first play of the game, a kickoff. Uh, Kendrick Law made an incredibly heads-up play. The ball was tracking to out of bounds, and he saw it coming, and he ran over, and he and he was very intentional. And he was watching the ball, but he was he was pantomiming his his act to make sure that the official are you watching like he's concentrating on the ball, but in his in his mentals he's thinking I want the official to know exactly what I'm doing, and so he was very sort of demonstrative in how he did it. But he he, he planted his foot in the field and sort of stomped it to demonstrate I am in the field of play and I'm reaching out out of bounds. To catch the ball out of bounds and he and he sort of planted his foot out of bounds as well and so that was ruled uh that was ruled as uh the kick out of bounds and so alabama got the ball at the 35 as opposed to the 25 so i thought that was a pretty clever uh, heads up play it's a unique way you don't see that very often i can't remember the last time i've seen that uh, but it was a very heads up play by kendrick law i like when you think of a kickoff returner i'll say kickoff returner this could be true of punt returners uh, as well. But you think of like a, a specialist position like that where you're primarily looking for who's the fastest, shiftiest guy that can catch and make people miss and, and is dynamic sort of in that flashy way. And this put them back there and they're gonna feel the ball and you know they're gonna they're gonna they're our biggest chance to to make yards. And the focus is on the flashiness of uh, just, you know, catching the ball and, and returning it. And I agree, there's a lot of value there. I like when those players and the coaching staff, you know, 80% of the job is catch the ball and utilize skill to, to return yards, right? Maybe 90% of the job that's to do. Uh, and then you gotta like, when when do you catch it? When do you not? When do you let it go over your head? So, but all of that is in, in in the vein of advancing the ball. There's that 3 to 5% of the job that's all of the other rules, all of the other nuances of returning kicks. And to think that Kendrick Law is working on the 97% of the job, but he's also working on that 3% where I'm going to catch the ball out of bounds, demonstrate that it's out of bounds, so that we get the ball in the 35 instead of the 25. You have a lot of players that are the flashy uh, return-style players that they don't think about that, and that would have been lost yardage. Now, I say all of that because I just love that nuancy sort of smart play. Um, It didn't benefit Alabama very much. A little bit of sort of field position early on. Uh, Alabama was not able to score off that drive, punted, And then Georgia proceeded to score on their first uh, touchdown. So that negated sort of any field position. Um, Still a damn cool play that uh, Kendrick Law had. And so heads up and hats off to uh, Kendrick Law in that regard. All right, next up. Next up for this Alabama team is a long exhale. Alabama is in the college football playoffs, and we're going to do a bonus show uh, on that that will come out shortly. But uh, Alabama is in the college football playoffs, which is a phenomenal accomplishment. And I want to separate, like, let's not get into the playoffs. Let's just, Alabama won the SEC and beat Georgia. Consider, Consider that statement in the context of September. Consider that in the context of that crappy, miserable, rainy day in Tampa where it looked like the season was going to go down the drain. And on Saturday... Alabama claimed the SEC title against Georgia, a a team that – a program that Alabama's going head-to-head with. Who reigns supreme over college football? And Alabama's got another ride in them. And and Alabama's going to the playoffs, and we're super excited about that. But Saturday's win was phenomenal, and uh, we're certainly pleased with that. And we don't want to overlook that moment. So for that reason, we're going to separate these two. Uh, shows. We're going to release them probably back to back, maybe even at the same time. Uh, but just as a, as a nod to the different accomplishments, uh, we're going to push those out uh, a little bit separate. So, in the meantime, if there's any questions or comments, please reach out to us, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on iTunes. We love the reviews, and so we would love to have uh, an opportunity in an upcoming show to share uh, the reviews that we're receiving any questions i'd love to have some dialogue with fans about that in the meantime again take that exhale celebrate this team take a moment to celebrate this team get ready for the holidays get ready for the the christmas or hanukkah or whatever we call it enjoy that time with family and friends and get ready new year's eve the tide will roll on michigan roll tide Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, coach? Of course, roll tide.